church know that I'm not uh, the biggest fan in the world of trying to come up with titles for messages. It's, I just don't. And what's funny is the first week that I preached out of the book of Acts chapter 4, I didn't have a title. I hadn't given one, and I went back to the sound sound video booth back there and right on the the cd the recording it said help wanted and so i kind of adopted the title and so this is part three of help wanted is everybody doing well today praise god god is good and we are glad to have you here Uh, we look a little bit light this morning crowds a little bit light this morning but that's okay because the word of god is not Bible light. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to go into chapter 5. And uh, we've been over these verses in chapter 4. We're not going to read all of them in 32 through um, 37. We're just going to look right now at verses 36 and 37 of Acts chapter 4 before we make our leap into chapter 5. Now, um, everybody here, if you've spent any time at all in church, know what uh, the opening 11 verses of Acts chapter 5 talks about. Everybody knows it. If it's not famous, it's certainly infamous. Um, Because Acts chapter 5 opens up with, well, let's just put it this way. The last two verses of chapter 4 of the book of Acts and then the opening 11 verses of Acts chapter 5 are case studies of how the church under these circumstances and with these parameters is number one, verse 36 and 37, how this program of bringing funds into the church essentially to eradicate the poor and to create the atmosphere of the body of Christ and it functioning in unity like the body, your body, someone else's body, works in a particular way as designed by God on purpose intentionally. And these verses that we've been looking at at the end of chapter 4 illustrate how the body is supposed to work. I mean, let's be honest, in verse 32, it opens up with this sentence, and this is not going to be on your screen. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's a body. And so these verses that followed through the end of chapter 4 are essentially this, they serve this illustrative purpose of how the body is supposed to work. They're one in heart and mind. Everybody is moving forward in doing this specific thing. It's just a handful of verses. And the Bible says right here that there were no poor. There were no needy persons in this body at the church of Jerusalem. It just didn't exist because the church functioned in a particular way. Now, if you'll remember that down here in verses 34 and 35, what people would do is those that had the capacity to do this. It wasn't everybody. 
We discussed the wealthy and the poor gathered at the church of Jerusalem. Not everybody could do this, but what happened with the people who could is the Bible says that they would sell houses and lands, and when they would do that, they would take those monies that were uh, achieved or, or, or received from uh, the sale of this real estate, and they would set it at the apostles' feet. And that in lieu of these actions, there were no needy, and that anybody who had a need had it taken care of through this methodology. That's what they did. Now, let's look at verses 36 and 37 of Acts chapter 4. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, verse 37, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, essentially, why those two verses even exist in the canon is to put a specific name to this activity that verses 35 and or 34 and 35 are talking about. They would sell a house, they'd sell a plot of land, they'd bring it into to the apostles, they'd set it at their feet, they'd leave it there, and the needs were taken care of for the needy. The reason that those two verses exist is to put a name and a face to this practice. It's one thing to say, yeah, people did this. It's another thing to name or finger a person and say, they did this. Now, this Joseph person, whom the apostles referred to as Barnabas, those of you who have studied the Bible and know your way around the book of Acts, this is that Barnabas. This is that guy. This is the guy that traveled with the Apostle Paul and had the falling out with him because of John Mark and later came back together. This is that Barnabas. He's of the tribe of Levi. He comes from Cyprus. He goes by a pair of names. In fact, verse 36, get a load of this. I want you to understand something here. Verse 36, in the NIV, which I am reading from, has exactly 15 words. Verse 37 in the NIV has exactly 16 words. There is as much said about this man as there is about what he did. An entire verse dedicated to his name and where he comes from. Number one, so that we know who he is. Number two, so that we know what he did. And then the 16 words that follow in verse 37. Those 16 words are about as anticlimactic as they can possibly be. This is the guy. This is what he did. Let's move on. Everybody see that? Can I tell you why that's there that way? Should all Christian ministry be backed by that kind of documentation? Oh, that all Christian ministry was backed 
by that little documentation. Oh, that the Christian heart was such that it abhors attention to itself. Oh, that we could find in the church people that would love to do what was necessary to see real life needs fixed, taken care of, God glorified in the process, and just not ask to be notified or noticed. Amen? You see, guys, whether we like this or not, every last one of us, it doesn't matter what you do. We're all just servants of the Lord. We're His children, absolutely. He says He sticks with us. He's closer than a brother. So we're family, yes. But we're all just servants of the Lord. Every last one of us, it doesn't matter how high on the food chain you find yourself or how low. We're all just servants And the Bible says that He places us where He desires. So, don't you know that qualifications, those are all in His mind. Those are all taken care of by Him. I've heard it said for a hundred years, yes, I hold my age well. Whom He calls, He equips. Don't you know that I think the church of Jesus Christ has suffered great violence because we have been convinced that we have to be all that and a bag of chips before we can do something for God when in reality He never said one time that you have to be this, this, or this for Him to empower and to anoint. The only thing that you have to be is one of his children, bought by his shed blood, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, and subsequently living that way. A confession is fine, but if a confession isn't backed up by actions, then it's just a confession. We have to recognize Yeah, Barnabas, this guy in verses 36 and 37, yeah, he was a pretty high-ranking cat. But it doesn't appear that he wrote any books. He didn't have any teaching series on DVD. He didn't have his own television program asking you to sponsor him for global missions. Nothing like that. He was a Levite from Cyprus who the disciples or the apostles called Barnabas. And he came in and he had some money available because he had property to sell, sold it, put it at the feet of the apostles, and then he walked off to serve the Lord elsewhere. That's how I want to live my life. If no one ever hears about me, you know what? That's okay. You know why it's okay? Because he's heard of me. He has heard of me and he heard of me when I called his name and said I'm lost I'm undone I'm destined for damnation and I need to be saved and I recognize you Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only approach to God and I receive you as my Lord and Savior that's how it works 
because he says he won't share his glory with anybody. So, Lord God, have mercy on me if I ever decide that I want to be noticed in his stead. Amen? Okay, is everybody awake this morning? Cool. Cool. The man sold a field. He owned and brought the money and put it to the apostles and put it at the apostles' feet. Remember what we said. I believe it was a week ago. It might have been two. I don't remember. The Spirit of the Lord has moved kind of frequently around here. And so I don't remember when the last time I actually preached. Um, but I think it was last week I told you that the reason that they put these, these monies at the apostles' feet was to signify that the money was the servant. And it was to serve the needs of the church in this case. Instead of it being the superior and the owner of the money being the servant to the funds. Right? Everybody remember that? Okay. So this man, very influential, Barnabas, sets it at the apostle's feet, walks off. Now, that's case study number one. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what you're supposed to do according to this passage of Scripture. You take your money, you make it well known that this I am not serving my money. It is not more important to me than is the cause of Christ and the purposes of God. The Bible tells us vividly, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. What was the price? Christ's life. He gave up His own life for our purposes. We need to be aware of the fact that we do not need to be serving anything and anyone but Him. And everything will be laid at the feet of God. Amen? Okay. With that said. Now let's move into chapter 5. The first 11 verses. This is case study number 2. This is 11 verses long and I didn't count the number of words. That sounded, counting those, that number of words, sounded about as fun as paying admission to the national grass-growing competitions. I just didn't want to. But it's 11 verses long as opposed to those two verses and 31 words at the end of the previous chapter. This case study in chapter 5, if verses 36 and 37 are, is a case study in how it is to be done, chapter 5, 1 through 11 is the case study of how you just don't want to do this. Okay? This is not how you want this to work out. Um, let's read. Now, I'm not going to read the entire passage because, first of all, it's likely that everybody knows this passage. And number two, if you're holding a Bible, whether it be like this one or one on a phone, you can read the rest of it yourself. I might synopsize. I just made that word up. The rest of the story, if you like. Now, chapter one or chapter five, verse one, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. I like the word also there because the author is intentionally showing you, okay, this is what Joseph, known as Barnabas, did. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they did it too. Okay? 
also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, Michael, just a second. Just a minute. It says right here that he put the money at the apostles' feet, just like Barnabas did, signifying that he wasn't serving the money, the money was serving him for God's purposes. So what seems to be the problem in this story? Well, the apostle is about to tell you what is wrong in this story. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. We can go on in the story, but we all know Ananias hears this declaration and he dies. Right there, flat as a board, he's dead. Three hours pass, his wife walks in. Did you know what your husband did? Yeah, yeah okay, you're dead too. But the interesting thing about this entire uh, interaction between Peter and Ananias is a, is a two questions that the apostle asks. The first question is, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And the second question is, why have you conceived of this thing in your heart? Two questions asked point blank to this man, and if you'll notice, by virtue of the questions asked, two are at fault. Not Ananias and Sapphira, but Satan and Ananias. Do we see this? There, in fact, are two people at fault. One is the devil. The other is the man. Lying here. What is it that Ananias actually did? He lied. Now, the Greek word, because we're in the New Testament, and this was written largely in Greek, the Greek word here just simply means, and everybody knows this because you know what lying is, to utter an untruth. Or, now get a load of this statement, attempt to deceive by falsehood. Okay. Now, think about that. An attempt to deceive by falsehood. Do you have any earthly idea what it must have taken in terms of utter darkness inside of Ananias to attempt to deceive men directly connected to the Spirit of Almighty God? Can I tell you it's something that I see in Ananias' actions that I fear is happening in the contemporary modern 20, or 2018 church? 
we think we're deceiving people in front of us when in reality our actions, our sin, our whatever baggage we're carrying is actually an affront to God, but we never realize we're getting past the people and to God with our deceptions. You say, okay, that's fine. Well, what's wrong really with that? Well, the problem is, is if I do something in an attempt to deceive you and don't understand the reality that God is watching and is omnipresent, who's omniscient, all-knowing, and I do something to deceive you, not understanding that the all-knowing God is present and perceives what I have done, follow me here, haven't I really disassociated God from His church? Not understanding that I can't get away with deceiving you without God being privy to it. Does anybody see the long-term issues with that? The problem is, is that even churches like this church who do our dead-level best to honor the Lord as a foundational, fundamental principle here. We try to honor God in all things. And when new things crop up, I promise you this, we're going to default to honoring the God of eternity. If it doesn't work out for you that we and the leadership of this church from the pastoral staff to the eldership, if it doesn't work out for you that we will honor God, then my only advice, and I do not mean this sarcastically or flippantly, change what will work for you. Because we're going with God. The problem with even churches like this is that when the body of Christ comes into the sanctuary to worship and exalt and hear God's Word, are we genuinely, honestly coming here out of a longing to please and align ourselves with God, receiving what the Bible says is, His desire through His Spirit to transform us into the image of His Son? Or are we coming here to somehow alleviate some religious obligation and burden which God is not privy to because God isn't really involved if there really is a God in the first place? Do we hear? Are you hearing the pastor? Ananias prances into the, to, to the room where Peter and the apostles are, takes this money that he has peeled a portion away from, 
and acts as though he is just like Barnabas, setting the money at his feet, goes about his business having attempted to deceive by falsehood, and is then verbally and spiritually accosted by Peter and saying, you know, how is it even possible that you, a member of the church of Jesus Christ, have allowed Satan to enter into your life and radically derail your trajectory to heaven? How is that a possibility? And then he goes on and says, What made you think of doing this? You see, all he wanted to do is look like the Barnabases of the Jerusalem church. That's all he wanted. While simultaneously making off with a payday too completely ignored the fact that God was in the room because the Spirit of God spoke through Peter. What in heaven's name killed this couple? What was it about this that killed this couple? It's a good question. You ever ask that? No, I... I don't think I've ever actually asked that because everything's so dramatic in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It just kind of looks like, wow, let me just make a note here. Self, don't do that. Period. James, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12. Let's look at this. James 1, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 15. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That is a a statement of fact, a reality in the kingdom of God that those who persevere under trial, they're going to get uh, the promise that God has extended to them. Once they've persevered, they've gone through the test. Man, they're set up for all of eternity. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say. Now remember, Verse 13, that statement, when tempted, no one should say, that is directly referring to verse 12. It's kind of like verse 12 is saying, blessed is the man who perseveres because he's going to end up with the promise that God received the crown of life and everything. And then we jump down to 13. He says, on the other hand, that's what's happening in verse 13. Kind of like, on the other hand, when tempted, no one should say, you know what, this circumstance that I'm in right now, this temptation, this trial, the stuff that's going on, this really stinks. And you know what, I have always heard preach that God is a God of blessing and a God of glory and a God of victory, and that's what it is, and here I am in the middle of a trial and a temptation. I don't think God's doing His job. In fact, I think God's doing this to test me. 
he's putting this temptation right in front of me to make sure that I pass the test. And if and when I fail, he's either going to strike me dead or I'm going to have to do this again and again and again. It's like, it's like Groundhog's Day. Ever see that movie? It's like Groundhog's Day. Until I get it right. And God's not going to be happy with me until I get this right. Because he's laying it out right in front of me. Well, verse 13 will say, I take issue with that. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And then he qualifies that. He says, for, or you can insert the word because, if you want to, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, what you're griping about, what you're complaining about, what you're murmuring about is a spiritual impossibility. It can't be done. He's God. He transcends all temptation. On the flip side of that same coin, He knows we do not. And His purpose in our lives is to deliver us from temptation. Vaguely sounds like a prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So... Now in verse 14, the author puts the point right on this. He says, but, okay, so we've already established God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one, each one, that's you and I, each one, all people as individuals, each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed then after desire has conceived what a vivid picture verse 14 the individual who has succumbed to his own evil desires has joined himself to those evil desires in a marital kind of scenario. Did you hear me? Because James sets the stage and gives the imagery that after desire has conceived. I realize that this is the, the day of AI, and I don't mean artificial intelligence, I mean artificial insemination. They've been doing that a long time. But that wasn't around when this text was written. And the bottom line is, is that each one is tempted when by his own desire, each one who succumbs is dragged away and enticed they join themselves to the evil desire much like a man and a woman in a marriage bed. 
Because once he's joined himself in a marriage to his evil desire, something gets conceived in that bed of sin. It gives birth to sin. Evil desire and temptation's offspring is sin. And God has nothing to do with it. And sin, now listen, and sin, when it is full grown, when it's, when it's done getting growed, when it's full grown adult, sin, that sin gives birth to death. Let's go back to Acts chapter 5. What was it about lying to the Holy Spirit that killed this couple? Back to the two questions. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? And why have you conceived... Funny, didn't we just read that word? Conceived of this thing in your heart. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hands, but have any of you, are any of you aware of something in your life that is a constant and a perpetual battleground for you? This thing is my Achilles heel. This thing is the thing that I battle most. What keeps you from being dragged away and enticed and conceiving the, the child of this temptation is that you resist the devil. But the devil is the source of temptation. He is the one who is the author of your temptation. I mean, all you have to do is go to Genesis to figure that one out. When the devil comes into the, a person's life and he places a temptation there and they opt out of their standing in Christ and they opt in to succumbing to their temptation, they are dragged away by that temptation enticed into the bed of iniquity and conceiving the child's sin that if allowed to remain alive will result in death. First question that Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Ananias was tempted by Satan. We're asking the question, what, what about this situation killed this couple? The temptation was placed before them like on a platter. Hey, man, I, you know, I got property. I can look good in the eyes of the church. I can look good in the eyes of the apostles. I can sell this property because, man, I don't want to pay taxes on it anymore. So I'm going to sell this property. I'm going to skim off the top 
whatever I want, because I don't have to tell them how much I sold it for. All I have to do is bring in some money, set it at the apostles' feet. I'm looking downtown, just like Barnabas, but at the same time, I'm pocketing me some coin. That's the temptation. The fulfillment came at the basis of the second question. Why have you conceived of this thing in your heart? Why did you join yourself to the temptation and bring forth a child? Sin. It manifested through you walking into the church acting as though you were just like the body of Christ, set it at the feet of the apostles, and because that sin was birthed into reality, now death follows. It's not very often these days that we see someone sinning and drop dead right there after they do it. Right? I mean, if you have... Great story. Come on over to my place for dinner. I'd like to hear it. But, here, keep in mind what's going on here. God is establishing His church in the first century, Jerusalem, in order to make a statement. The the power of God is being displayed. The preaching of the gospel is everywhere. People are being added to the church by droves. And the power is being manifest throughout Jerusalem. It's happening like like an explosion, like a nuclear detonation. This church is making its presence known. And in the power of God, this formula of conceiving sin resulting in death manifests itself and raises its head for at least the best we know because this is the first documentation of it. It raises its head in the church and the life is extracted right there. No more than three hours later, his wife comes in completely privy, having gone through this entire formula of sin. She's dead too. I can just see those guys there who... They're just standing around, you know, and Peter talks to Ananias and says, you know, those men at the door, they're going to go bury you. Drops dead. They carry him out. Now keep in mind, three hours. Three hours. These guys are out there in that rocky uh, 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 Israeli soil, and they're digging a hole, and they're sweating, and get Ananias in there, and they bury him up, and they're going, man, that was a drag. I did not wear the right shoes to dig a hole today. Man, what a bummer. They walk in just in time and they look up to say, Hey, Peter, we got him buried just to see Sapphira drop dead. And they went, Really? There's no room next to her husband. Can we just move her down a row or two? Is that okay? And it's just, I can just see those poor guys. But she walks in, she does the same thing. Why? Because they got into the marital bed with sin. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this or not. I can't imagine that you wouldn't from being in this church for five minutes. But guys, sin will kill you. They set their allegiance with the devil. Ananias and Sapphira set their allegiance with the devil. And the Lord will not cohabitate with sin. He will not. He wants a people who are wholly dedicated into their hearts and in their living to Him. Maybe you don't know everything there is to do in Christianity. I don't, and I'm pastoring this church. But I'm going to tell you this much. In my flaws and in my inability to be perfect in every way, all the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, up to 31 days a month and 365 days a year, God knows my heart is His. And I refuse to make a contract with the devil because it's going to work out better for me. Why were Ananias and Sapphira's actions of Satan? Although he put that money at the apostles' feet, he didn't have dominion over it, that's for sure. It had dominion over him. Listen, something else he did was, and we all know this, this is probably the oldest illustration for this passage ever. He didn't give his all. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. When and if you decide to give yourself to the Lord, whether that be money, whether that be service, whatever that has to be, if you're going to give your heart to God, and you don't know Him right now, but you're, you're looking to give your heart to God, you don't hold any of it back. You give it all, and you set it at His feet. If you're going to give your service to God, and you're going to serve Him, do not hold any of your service back for your own well-being and your own good. You give it all to God. If you're going to give your life for Him, don't hold anything back. You give it all to God. Holding nothing back for yourself. Why? Because again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. After all this happens, man, don't you know in a town like Jerusalem, a town like Corsicana, can you imagine if Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 or 1 through 10 happened in Corsicana. Can you imagine our little rural town's Facebook and Twitter connections detonating to the point where we would have news crews surrounding this church? So what killed these people in your church? You're preaching? It, it, would be, it would be amazing, the response, if someone came in willingly, openly having planned to lie and deceive and corrupt the church, which is really 
the long-term reaction. If Ananias and Sapphira had gotten away with their plan, what would that have done to the church? It would have compromised the integrity of the church. Because suddenly, now there is sin in the camp. And we know that God doesn't inhabit where there is sin. Yes? As a matter of fact, let's just, let's just look at this. And, and here again, everybody and their brother knows this. Joshua chapter 6, Israel has just sacked Jericho. They have just, or let me correct that. God has just sacked Jericho. The walls coming down, uh, Rahab helping the spies, the marching around, and if you're a Veggie Tale fan, getting pelted by slushies, and oh man, it was just, the whole thing is just completely epic in its in its scope. But little does every anybody at all know. No one knows in Israel. No one knows. That a man named Achan, while probably making his rounds with his spear, thunk, thunk, looks down and there's some merchandise that just catches his eye. And he snatches it up. And as they exit Jericho, he keeps it in a knapsack and when he gets home, when he gets to the campsite, slips it, buries it in his tent. Next stop, army of Israel, Ai. Next stop, Ai. Let's go. Oh, go check this, Joshua. Hey, go check this out, guys, uh, and report back to me, Joshua says. They go and they say, oh, we don't need the whole army. That place is like pff, M house. Just send a part of the army down there. It's going to be fine. We'll wade through them like a, like, a, like a shallow puddle. Well, they get their rear ends handed to them handily, and they lose some guys. Joshua goes to crying and whining, and God literally tells him, Get up. You're embarrassing yourself. There's sin in the camp. Find it. Listen. Let me see if I can find it. Right here. Verse 12, chapter 7, the book of Joshua. He's talking about why they were defeated. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I'm not hanging with you anymore. Why? Because I don't go where there is sin. If Ananias and Sapphira had been allowed to uh, 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 coexist in God's house, there, the, the, the gospel preaching would have stopped. The healings and resurrections would have stopped. The power of God would have stopped. Nothing else would have happened, and they would have been just one more religious organization on the long roster in the marketplace of religious world. Because God doesn't hang with sin. Makes you wonder 
where the power of God is in a church that's supposed to be purporting the power of God. Makes you wonder about the church of Jesus Christ in America where you go into a church to find the power and it's the exception instead of the rule. Makes me sad. All of this happens. Ananias, dead, buried. Sapphira, dead, buried. In verse 11, and I'm going to wind down here. Verse 11 of chapter 5 of the book of Acts says this. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Great fear seized all the church and everybody else who heard about it. Daryl Buckner. When was the last time you heard about a community being scared because of the power of God in a church? Instead of the world being frightened and alerted and on the edge of their seat because of the power of God, we, and especially those of us who are tongue-talking, full gospel types, we are the subjects of jokes, comedies, bad reporting, and just overall stigmatized rumors about how weird and backwoods and inbred we are. Now, you know what? I can understand, to a degree, the lost not fearing God. But when the church doesn't fear God either, we're in grave trouble. We're in grave danger. Where has the power of God gone? Well, you know, I don't know. I think that all that power, that just stopped happening when the disciple, when the last apostle died. I think that all went down the tubes when God took out the originals and now we're just stuck here to preach dusty sermons to dusty people on dusty pews and dusty churches. That's what I personally think. You know what I think? I think God is a truth teller about himself and when he says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's exactly what he means. And when the power of God leaves the church, it's because something's wrong in the church, not on the throne. That's my opinion. Why do I have that opinion, Jimmy? Because I think that book testifies to the fact. Great fear seized the whole church, all of it. Now keep in mind, the whole church was all located right there in Jerusalem, by and large. And all who heard about it. I love the next couple of verses. Check this out, and I'm going to close. No, really, I'm actually going to close. Verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. That would have stopped dead in its tracks if Ananias and Sapphira had gotten away with what they did. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 13 is extremely vivid. No one else dared join them. 
even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the power of God is still manifesting because the sin has been dealt with. The power of God is still manifesting. Evangelistic efforts, still making people come to Christ. (laughs) But no one else dared join them. Despite the fact that they had a good reputation. Why would... Why is that in there? What is that statement? I'll tell you what statement is. I heard Ananias and Sapphira died because they were trying to lie to the Lord and God struck them dead. Well, I know those are good folk up there in the church. I know they're good folk. I ain't going over there. Why? Because they knew their own hearts. I'm not joining them. I'm going to die dead as a mackerel right here in the Solomon's colonnade and the janitors for the temple are going to come out sweeping my body right up next to Ananias and Sapphira. No one else dared join them. Well, now, I got into trouble last week by saying a few things. I'm going to get in trouble right now. Now, anybody can join us. Do you think the church in 2018 is supposed to be this different than the church in one? Are we supposed to be that different? Are we supposed to be that different? Because look, around here, and and I think the church at large, I told you I'm closing. This is just a long closing. We believe this book for salvation. This is where we take the whole salvation thing from. Here, we're Pentecostal. We believe what it says about the Holy Spirit. We believe what Jesus says about how when we're saved, the blessings that are upon us. We believe that. And there's a whole other host of things that we believe. But what we tend to fudge on is what we can and cannot get away with while still being the church of Jesus Christ. If this is how it's supposed to be done in all those other areas, isn't this how it's supposed to be done in the area we've been studying for the past three weeks? Then answer me the question. Where is the power of God? What is it that the church needs to look at in themselves to take away get out of our lives what is it that we need to rid ourselves of what is it that through me or somebody else or a whole group of somebody else's is ministering about that God is trying to get forth into the hearts and the lives of the church 
that hasn't yet caught hold. Are we Barnabas or are we Ananias? Is there a place in our hearts that looks like Ananias or are we Barnabas? The kind of person who God sends to go minister the gospel to others. And I don't mean in my capacity. I mean in your capacity. Wherever you are, however you live, whatever station you are in life, are we a Barnabas who traveled to make sure lost people knew Jesus? Or are we Ananias? Man, I want to look right before the church. I want to have... I, I want to, to, to look just like Barnabas. But I want to be what I want to be. Where are we? What is it that we're doing? You know, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but Jesus actually forgives folk of sin. He will deliver the lost from sin. And you know, despite his desire to look like Barnabas, he was Ananias was still as lost as the day is long. Because he conceived, once he was enticed, he conceived with temptation and brought forth, brought forth a bouncing baby sin that killed him. getting into a habit of preaching long. <laughs>